the world is falling apart. <laughs> At least that's how it seems so often, right? And I think I have lots of conversations with people where they're saying the same thing. They're asking, what is going on in our world? Are the foundations of our culture crumbling? Every week we see news stories about violence or wars or threats of wars, um, division in our world. Every week we see new examples of how we're falling into craziness and walking away from faith in God. We see sexual sin growing. We see destruction of the family increasing. We see people believing foolish things. So what do we do as Christians when it seems like things are beyond repair, like the world is falling apart? What do we do? Well, thankfully, this isn't a new situation, and it's not a situation where the Bible leaves us without guidance. This has been something that's happened for many years. There's been many times where the world seems to be falling apart. And if everything I've said speaks to you, if you feel the same way, then Psalm 11 is for you. It gives us guidance in a world that is crumbling and falling apart. So let's jump right into it. This is a Psalm of David, as pretty much all the Psalms are in this first section of the Psalms. Um, Psalm, let's look at the first couple of verses, though, of Psalm 11. In Psalm 11, 1 through 3, we see the voice of despair, the voice of despair. So the Psalm starts with this very negative, despairing speech. And it's unclear if it's somebody who's attacking David with these thoughts. Maybe it's somebody who wants to undermine what makes David strong, which is his faith in God. So they're planting these thoughts that are really negative, really destructive. Or maybe this is someone who's just fearful and their thoughts and their doubts toward God are rubbing off on David. That's one possibility. Or it might actually be that this is an internal dialogue, that he's kind of having this, this talk with himself. And we see this other times in the Psalms. So we can't be totally sure, but either way, there's this voice of despair in the first three verses that's going to be answered in the following few verses. So verse one, he says, in the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? So the psalm starts with confidence in God. The language here reminds us of Psalm 2, right? That blessed are all those who take refuge in the, in the Messiah or Psalm 7, right? That God is a refuge for us that we can go to. And so it starts off with confidence, but then he he alludes to this conversation that's happening or this voice of despair that's coming at him. There's someone who's speaking this way and he's saying, literally, flee to your mountain, bird. Flee to your mountain. <clears throat> In other words, you're weak. You need to run away. Uh, you can't possibly stand against the problems that you're seeing in your life. So run. Go protect yourself. Go hide away. Verse 2, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. So there's an attack from this enemy who's in the dark, um, an enemy that can't be seen. So there's a, a bent bow here and an arrow fitted to the string. So that's sort of the idea of a, a loaded and cocked gun that's aimed directly at somebody. This is a clear and present danger that threatens to destroy the psalmist, David. And so these unseen an enemies are surrounding you. So the message here is there's no hope. You need to flee. And they're attacking the upright. That word for upright in verse 2, the upright in heart, is the root word for upright is straight. It's the word straight. It comes from that root. And it's the opposite of somebody who is bent or who is crooked or who is perverse. So this is somebody who's honest, who has integrity. And often when you live in this way where you seek to, to act in integrity, you're going to be attacked. 
you're going to be undermined by other people. And so the pessimistic, despairing people say that there's an enemy here that's too great. You've been doing the right thing, but someone is coming to attack you, and so there's no way you can win against this. All you can do is run for your life. Just think of yourself. Just protect yourself. And the statement in verse 3 is the clear summation of this thinking, right? So in verse 3, he says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations of a building, or in this case of a society, are falling apart, what could you possibly do to prevent that? The people are so bad that society itself is falling apart. The very culture is crumbling. There's no more hope. So again, the focus should just be on how can you think of and take care of yourself. The same idea of the foundations being destroyed is used in a a passage like Ezekiel 30, verse 4, where we see um, that the foundations of Egypt are torn down, right? The foundations are torn down. So the idea is uh, if you lose the foundation, you lose everything, right? Without a solid foundation, everything built upon it will crumble. And so the question here, going back to Psalm 11, the question here is, well, if that happens, if the society itself falls apart, what can a righteous person do? And that's a tough question, right? How do we deal with, when, with the situation where the world is falling apart? What do we do when despair seems like the only option? So well, first we see the voice of despair, but then we see in response the eyes of faith. In verses 4 through 7, the eyes of faith. You know, there's this constant movement that I'm seeing in the Psalms, and I'm sure we'll continue to see it, where the psalmist goes from looking down or around at their circumstances to raising their eyes up to God, looking at him who is in full control and reorienting their life and their circumstances based upon his control. The psalmist wants to train us to do this in our lives. And so he'll speak about it again and again and again. To First of all, honestly assess what's going on around us, to be honest about that, not to be deluded, but to see the wickedness around us, but then to always respond by looking up to God. When you're focused, what you're focused on will direct the course of your life, right? So if you're focused just on your circumstances, you're always going to be crushed. You're always going to be discouraged. You have to raise your eyes up. You need the eyes of faith to look up to heaven and to see a place where you can find real security in difficult times. Look at what the psalmist says, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. So a few commentators point out here that there's the themes here of the imminence and transcendence of God. And maybe those words are not familiar for you. The imminence and transcendence of God. Imminence means that God is close by. Something that is imminent is something that is right next to you, right? It's right beside you. Something that is transcendent is something that is so lofty, so far beyond you that you could never access it. So often theologians have asked throughout history, is God transcendent or is he imminent? Is he far away that we could never approach him or is he close to us? And the answer in scripture is that God is both. God is both far above us, far beyond us, and also he comes and he is close to us. And these these two truths help us so much. So we see first in this verse that God is in his holy temple. So in other words, he's right here with us. For the, for the, you know, for the king in Jerusalem, that would have been in his city, 
God is right there. He's close enough to have access to, but also he's transcendent. He is, his throne is in heaven. So both are true. God is, is um, both of these things simultaneously. He's so much greater than us that we could never hope to approach him on our own strength. And yet he also makes himself close to us because he loves us. And, you know, Two commentators um, in their in their uh, in the Word Bible commentary point this out. This is from Craigie and, and Tate. They say it is this double recognition that gives the psalmist confidence. God is both imminent and therefore present with him in this crisis, but also transcendent and therefore in control of the apparent chaos of that crisis. That's an amazing observation. So God is both so close to us that He's with us; He cares for us in the crisis that we're in. He's not far away, but also he's above the crisis so he can help us, right? He has a bird's eye view and he can direct it toward his perfect purposes. So both of these truths are so important for us. God is with us and yet God is so far above us. We also see in this verse that God sees and tests humans. This is the idea again of refining somebody, of, of testing somebody, but for a certain purpose to refine them, to make them into something better that is shaped for God's purposes. We see this word test in Zechariah 13, 9, when the prophet says, I will put this third into the fire and refine them as one refines silver and test them as gold is tested. So that word testing there, as gold is tested, is the same idea. So it has a refining idea to show something's worth and to make it greater and better and more fit for a purpose. So God sees what is in secret and he tests us. He sees us and he's always testing us. Matthew Henry said it this way. I thought this was such a powerful quote from Matthew Henry, the old Puritan commentator. He said, God not only sees men, but he sees through them. Not only knows what all they say and do, but knows what they think, what they design, and how they really stand affected, whatever they pretend. We may know what men seem to be, but he knows what they are as the refiner knows what the value of the gold is when he has tried it. That's how God sees. He sees far beyond what we see. He sees into our hearts. And so he's constantly testing us. Verse five continues the same idea. It says, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. So God has a hatred for those who do evil, and he will also test them or, or apply fire to them, but in a very different way, right? The hatred of God towards evil, again, this is an outflow of his holiness and his love because he has to protect those that he cares about, and so he destroys those who hurt his people. The fire that tests the wicked, though, isn't ultimately for their improvement, but for their punishment and destruction. In fact, the language of verse 6 is similar language to Genesis 19 when it speaks of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the fire and the sulfur that rains down on the city. And so this is not a, a fire that improves somebody. This is a fire that destroys and consumes somebody. So there's a terrible end for wickedness. And, and once again, we see the comfort that should bring to those who trust in God, that God will deal with wickedness. So put it far from your mind. Don't worry about it. It's under his control, and he will bring it to justice. Verse 7, this is how it ends. It says, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. 
So God doesn't simply do righteous things, according to this passage. He loves righteousness. Righteousness is central to his being. Doing the right thing, doing justice in this world is something that he has to do in the end. And he's going to bring everything to account because of this is part of his character. This is part of his nature. And this reminds us too that doing a righteous deed is not overlooked by God. He takes delight in the actions of his people. And this line at the end, when it says the upright shall behold his face, it reminds us that someday if we trust in God, if we seek after God, we're going to one day see his face. We're going to behold him in his glory. And we're going to be transformed by that beautiful vision at the end of our lives and for eternity. So some practical thoughts from this psalm, because this is a very practical psalm. So one thing to think about is that Satan is always aiming to attack the foundations whether it's the foundations of a person or of a culture, Satan always wants to undermine what is most central, most foundational to a person. He wants to undermine our trust in God, again, both as individuals and as a culture. He wants to undermine our moral values. He wants to destroy us at the deepest level of what we believe in and of who we look to and who we trust in. So we always have to be on guard against that. And this means the way that we fight this is very simple. And if you were raised in the church, you've heard it a thousand times. But we, we fight against the, these lies and this undermining power of Satan by looking to God's word again and again, by finding guidance in God's word and truths that will reorient us from the lies that we hear so often in our world. Um, we talk about the need to be in God's word all the time, right? The need to be hearing sermons at church, the need to be in community groups, other people who are you know sharing God's word with you, the need to read it on your own and read it with your family. But all this is true, right? This isn't just empty legalism. This is because your world is constantly lying to you. Those around you, even unintentionally, are shaping your thoughts in a way that contradicts God's word. And so we need God's word to constantly bring us back to the truth. We need protection and we find it by looking to God's word. We also see if we trust in God, nothing should ultimately shake our confidence in him. The world could be falling apart. In a lot of ways, I think you could argue it is. But that doesn't shake us. That doesn't cause us to fear or to doubt because we have someone who is much stronger on our side. If you're a Christian, your confidence never was in this world. It never was in American culture or any other culture. It's not in the society you live in. It's in God and his plan for the future. And what God has written in his word is so clear of what he's going to do in history. And the last thing we can see, and this is so simple, but no matter what happens, God is still reigning. God is still on the throne. He's still in control. And so our life in the short term may be difficult. We may see a lot of oppression, but this simple truth guides us. God is in control, and he is working to implement his perfect plan in history. So trust in him.